This is the one with a bonehead. A telepathic radio diamond. Temporary tattoos galore. And a triple temptation. It's called Snake Dance. Here we Here go. Here we go. We're embarking on a voyage all through time and all through space. Counting Daleks, Dalek, Boot, and the Cybertronic race. Santorans look like taters, and Silurians all have wonky scales. And the Doctor has a TARDIS. We're reviewing all his tales. Who back when? Reviewing all of who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and read all night news, please. Episode by episode, we're trudging down this temporal. Come join us on this odyssey. What other choice could there be than who back when? Who back when? What up, podcast land? And welcome to yet another fantabulous episode of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Oh, Doc Past. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> there might be a lot of that, depending on how much we have to drink this evening. <laughs> I am Leon, but I am but half of tonight's crew, for I have the pleasure of gazing across the ether tonight, across Zencaster, at my wonderful co-host, Jim. Hello, Jim. Hello, Leon. Hello, podcast land. Great for you to join <laughs> us again. I know. And for what an incredibly exciting episode have they joined us. Wow. Because tonight we are talking about Snake Dance. Sequel to Kinder. Like, mm. direct sequel to Kinder. Only one season later. We're now in season 20. We established right before pressing record. Why don't we start there? Before we jump into B-Scow and review proper, how does this compare, like, super high level, how does this compare to Kinder for you? Ooh, interesting. I think it's a very different state of affairs in this one. Mm-hmm. But it keeps it keeps some of the vibe, and maybe it's dialed it down in some respects. Like, there's yeah, less so outwardly less experimental, crazy right? things. Yeah, not as <laughs> yeah, experimental. <that's> right. <laughs> yeah. But Is it better? It's still... It's, it still has uh, the edge to it. Maybe the um, maybe the plot and sort of structure of it is more uh, what's the word commonplace. I don't know. It's, yeah, I, yeah. I think you're right about that. This is like almost more formulaic in a way. But yeah, it's... I was trying to avoid saying formulaic. But yes, I <laughs> guess it is. <laughs> yeah, I know, I feel, like I feel like a little part of me died inside when I said that. But it... <laughs> okay, so I think. This episode is a better episode. Oh, sorry, the serial is a better serial. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm not sure yet. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Well, how about we jump into a bite-sized chunk of who and then dissect this snake? Marvelous. <laughs> Time for us to synopsize, lobify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brief and listen to this overview. This free for all we like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who. An old guy wants to be alone in a desert. Nissa wants Doc to notice her new outfit. And Tegan's having nightmares. Nightmares that are strong and weird enough to bring them to a new world. Manusa, whose former inhabitants, or so legends say, vanquished the Mara from their lands. Of course, those slippery serpentine scallywags aren't gone at all. And through the vessel that is Tegan, are about to make their grand comeback. And just in time for the tacky festivals celebrating their demise. They've soon poisoned a handful of the locals' minds, and now Doc and Nyssa must battle their friend for the future of a race no one cares about. Peace out, over. over. <laughs> you are welcome. Oh, and you just... Where would you like to start? I don't have, like, a good big opening question. If you have one, please take it. Otherwise, I will dive into some of the cast. 
Uh, well, I think that's a lovely place to start, actually. Why don't we do that? Tell us about the cast. Who have we got here? Okay. We have the acting debut of Martin Clunes. That's right. Who, anyone who has grown up in the 90s with British television will know quite well, I think, at, at the very least. And I have to say, he was bloody brilliant in this. <laughs> I thought so, too. We're talking about Doc Martin, right? Yes. Yeah. English Macaulay Culkin is how I've described him in my notes, because um, I think you will find if you if you bear that in mind and you watch this again, you will see no one else. <laughs> yeah, I thought he yeah, was really I good as well. Kind of According to the trivia, he thought he was bad. Really, that's interesting. Yeah, there's I guess a slight undertone of hamminess to his portrayal, but I think that's mm-hmm. the charm. Really, you know, everyone's hamming it up in this one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Plus, it's Doctor Who in the 80s. Yeah, every every single episode has a little slice of ham, and that's completely fine. We like that. I guess he's very young. Looking at his Wikipedia entry, he would have been like 22. So, yeah. I mean, it's obviously, it's it's his first television acting credit so it's gonna it's gonna be yeah. probably a, a young person for starting their career but I think, he looks yeah, much I think more mature than that it. by the way yeah and he commands scenes as well like he plays absolutely that lord who doesn't give a shit incredibly well <laughs> yeah and obviously I, doubly so spoiled when brad sorry i was gonna say yeah doubly so when the mara take him over but yeah the, the spoiled brat oh thing, absolutely yeah, go, go ahead yeah like he's part spoiled brat part political porn, sort of like a um, Paul Atreides kind of thing, and then part absolute Looney Tunes mad person. He does it all incredibly well. That's an interesting Dune reference, actually. That's that's dinging a lot of bells in my head. I don't know Dune massively well. I've seen the film Mm. and one of the TV portrayals. I've never read the books. But yeah, I can see possibly there being some influence from that. Did you did you pick up on more stuff or is that there was one other part of the uh, the serial where my mind went straight to Dune and that was the triple temptation, (laughs) the um, Uh. the the challenge at the end during the ritual. It seemed like a very made-for-TV spectacle adaptation of the um, I must not fear, fear is the mind killer. You know, that that kind of thing. Where he's like, oh, I I, I do not fear. Fear is but sand in my hands. Uh, You know, oh, fear (laughs) is but a twig. I turn my hand this time, twig falls down. No fear. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, very true. (laughs) So maybe there's an element of that. I mean, we never really get to see the planet as such, but when the old chap is, uh, what's his name? I made a note of it, Dodgen. When Dodgen is meditating at the start and where they meet Dodgen towards, is it part four? It seems like this is a desert planet. Yes, true. So there, there is that as well. No, very true. Hmm. Did did you uncover any trivia about this? I, I mean, I did not know. Maybe someone subconsciously, you know, picked some stuff from June, or maybe they're just general enough that you can draw a parallel without it being intentional. Well, apparently the the writer uh, Chris Bailey was influenced by something he had learned about the Christian sects that lived. I can't remember where it was now. It was somewhere in the States who worship snakes. So possibly like all the cultural references are actually influenced by, you know, religion on Earth. But then again, like Dune is also influenced by religion on Earth. So, mm. yeah. you know what? I don't know. I don't know. It's probably incredibly tenuous. But um, fair play. Then. Regardless, yeah. I'm, I'm glad that we both both our minds kind of went there. Yeah. What other cast members do you have in your roster? I don't actually have massive stuff about the rest of them. I've definitely felt like I recognized 
Is it Chila? Is that the, the guy mother? that helps? No, it's the oh. the young assistant Curly that guy? helps out. Yeah, that's what helps yeah. out um, Doc and Nissa towards the, the end. Smithers. <laughs> Smithers, yes. <laughs> the Smithers character. Smithers. Oh, really? I didn't recognize him. I didn't look him up either. Has he been in something else? So he's been a TV presenter. I, I haven't actually oh. found out what he presented, which I might have. Like, he, he did some children's BBC stuff in the early 90s, which I might have recognized him from. And he was also in a, a long-ish running show called Bread, which I know I watched, but I was very young at the time. I, I, again, I, I think he's just someone that has popped up in British TV land and he, he rang okay. some bells, but this is probably quite a bit before a lot of that stuff okay yeah i've never seen that i've not even heard of bread what is it wait you can toast it you can put jam on it uh, yeah never heard of it the, the uh... yeah. make an entire series out of that <laughs> <laughs> the the only actor reference i've found is brian miller this is also taken straight from trivia and that is that um this is the chap who ran the hall of mirrors He's married to um, Liz Sladen, Sarah Jane Smith. Yeah. Yeah, very cool. He was quite good, actually. But I, I think, actually, just in general, this was a very well-performed serial. I would definitely I agree. Go, yeah. that, go that far. I think, it. yeah, we said, like, it's not as experimental as Kinder was, but it's still, you know, asking a lot of the actors, you know, a lot of them are portraying someone that's been kind of taken over, so they're having to do kind of split personality things with their character almost. Yeah. Um, yeah, including... Brian, is it Brian Miller? I don't know. It's the oh, I don't know. Is is he the showman guy then? Yeah, he runs the Hall of Mirrors. He assumes that Tegan is just putting on a show and wants to recruit her to be his yeah. <laughs> like, freak show act. Yeah. So yeah, even that little character has a few aspects to it of like doing definitely. There's basically a lot of doing the same that character, same same spiel effectively. I think once in front of Tegan, well, like giving his sort of salesman pitch to Tegan, giving his performance to the crowd out on the street and then giving the performance yeah. again as a subject of the Mara in a kind of trance-like yeah. state. You know, yeah, there's quite cool stuff in there. That's, like, that's some solid acting being done by a very minor character. So that's, yeah, yeah you're definitely. absolutely right. There's there's great acting across the board here. Okay, so what about our main cast? Because I do also think we get some stellar acting from possibly our least favourite companion for a while now, well, since we got rid of Adric, uh, Tegan. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, Janet Fielding does... A very good job throughout all of this, I think. Right? I thought at first when she <laughs> she's made to be quiet, put on earphones, and just sort of wander around like a stooge, I was almost certain that everyone on the casting crew were just all right, yeah. Let's just let's just get rid of this character. <laughs> let's write her out of this one. She can she can stumble around with uh, earplugs, and then actually it turns out she is the main antagonist, and she's showing some serious range. I mean, she also did in Kinder, obviously, but here. Holy moly, I, I feel like it's she's stepping up her game and she is actually a really good actor. Yeah, I I definitely enjoyed what she was doing and uh, bringing to this role. I think I think we basically only get a bookended performance of her as Tegan. The rest of it is the Mara persona, isn't it? Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah. Also, to clarify, I really like her as the Mara. Every little thing she does as Tegan annoys me. Like every tiny aspect of that character <laughs> or of her performance as that <laughs> character grates on me. <laughs> That's, that's from her <laughs> being hypnotized and like you know in the beginning when she's having a nightmare she's tossing and turning in her room even though like yeah kudos for the emmanuel chair in the background but then uh, when she's being hypnotized immediately thereafter and she starts speaking as though she's six years old uh, and she wants to go to the beach or something 
Like, ugh, gross, really gross. I, I, I hate adults pretending to be children. It's absolutely <laughs> revolting. <laughs> I actually really liked it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think... I think it wasn't too childlike for me. So when she was, I think she was talking about a garden. Um, I, I, I can't remember exactly how, how she was describing it, but she, she was basically talking about being in a garden or being her garden or something. And I just, yeah. I was just thinking, oh, this is a bit weird. Like uh, maybe they've, she's gone to some dream, dream world. And then it turned out it was her six year old self. And that, because it wasn't too childlike for me, felt like it was like uncovering details, you know, I don't know. And I, I quite liked like that scene. Putting her through psychoanalysis. Yeah. <laughs> peeling, peeling back the layers of Tegan. <laughs> yeah, don't get me wrong. I, I think the idea is really solid, but I, it, it just, like, the performance itself just grossed me out. And maybe that's because I don't want to get to know Tegan better. But then the second she turned, you know, full exorcist, not exorcist, ex, oh, uh, in need of an exorcism, uh, possessed is the word I'm looking for. It became very different. Like I, I was instantly hooked. Like I mean, that uh, hypnosis session ends with her channeling the voice of the Mara, and all of a sudden they've, they've modulated her voice, or maybe they've overdubbed mm. her or something. It was great. Loved it. Yeah, that voice in is fact, they must have overdubbed yeah, they, her. And it was it ends with a shouting, "Go away!" You know, yeah, it's creepy as hell. Yeah, it really is creepy. There's another scene. This is why I'm assuming it was overdubbed. When it, there's another scene, can't remember. Oh, it's it's when Liz Sladen's husband is going to get absolutely mind shat on, and that's when Tegan, who at this point is Bonehead Tegan, and is it? Oh, it's Macaulay Culkin. So Bonehead and Culkin are talking to Liz Sladen, Mister Liz Sladen. And they're both speaking with that weird voice, like yeah. alternating, and they're both basically Tegan, and it, that freaked me out. Excellent stuff. Like, one of the shittest cliffhangers ever, but, like, great scene. Well-crafted. <laughs> yeah, no, that was that was really nice. Yeah, so, hmm, do you think, if they did overdub, do you think it was Martin Clunes that overdubbed it, so that that would feel more linked when they did no, that? No, I, th- I think I think Tegan overdubbed it. I think Tegan was probably recorded, like, ADR'd later on. Like, uh, somewhere off-screen, off-stage, they recorded Tegan, they modulated her voice, and then they overdubbed her real voice with that voice. And they also overdubbed Clunes with that voice right yeah i was i was when you said overdub i wasn't sure if you were saying another voice was inserted in i see but you're saying she's like both i the think lines her voice is yeah with exactly. a modulation uh, yeah i think like, so plus her with a modulation yeah i yeah, get yeah, you. Exactly. i think that's probably right yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe they had the recording and they just got kevin McAllister to you know mouth the words of uh, of her recording oh whatever yeah yeah those are all technicalities <laughs> let's meet up offline and discuss that but like, in in general <laughs> Super solid scene. <laughs> no, no, let's hash this out. Podcast land, you don't mind an hour of us just deciding how they've done this one effect. Do you? No, fine. Settle yourselves in. <laughs> yeah. Feel free to shoot me down if this is a, a bad segue or if you've got a better one. But I was going to take us across town to Dodgen. Dodgen, whatever, the, uh, the older chap. Oh, yeah. Who does not have a voice. He is only communicating telepathically. He also has that fabulous hair that we saw the kinder have, like the long, very well conditioned hair. Mm-hmm. But he's not a kinder himself, right? Like the kinder, that's an entirely different world. Yes. That was something I was never quite clear about is like how this related to the kinder and what was their planet? Uh, 
Oh, um, uh, oh crap. Uh, okay, Diva I'm heading over. Diva Luca, well done. I was going to head over to whobackwhen.com there, as you should, podcast land. Uh, Diva Loca, yeah, you're right. So that's Diva Loca. This is Menusa, entirely different worlds. But yeah. I guess the, the Mara exist in... I mean, they live in the Black Lodge from Twin Peaks. And I guess the Black Lodge, because it's a different dimension-ish, doesn't really have any bearing on what we consider space and time. Or rather the other way around. Yeah, I'm not sure if I ever really worked out what the Mara were capable of based on this serial and Kinder put together like there are references yeah. to the mara like it was obviously part of like uh legend and being a bit poetic but it, like references to the mara living in like the dark like, was it like darkness inside humans or you know but yeah exactly um, we learned that they were created I would, that, exactly i was gonna say that which i mm. don't i don't think that i mean if that's the case then that makes no sense so i don't think that's what they mean i think what they mean is they summoned them you're absolutely right. They do say okay. they created them because, like the whatever they were called, the Samarans, whatever they were called, the the previous inhabitants of Manusa, they had uh, they created these telepathic crystal thingies, these telepathic diamonds or whatever they are, that somehow channeled emotion, and those diamonds soaked soaked up all the hatred and loathing and malice in their society, and that somehow quote, created the Mara. But this takes place after Kinder, right? And if this mm. takes place after Kinder, kin the Marans already existed in Kinder, and um, these Marans remember the Doctor from the Kinder episode. Uh, what am I trying to say? Right, yeah. So, what I was going to say was, at the end of this episode, spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen the episode, but the, the snake, the Mara, is destroyed. We get a really limp python. <laughs> a leaky limp python, and someone says, the Mara have been destroyed. But if these are just different Mara that were created locally, just like if the Mara are just something that turn up wherever people are bad, and there are crystals or diamonds, then, you know, they can pop up anywhere. They might even still be on Dibaloka. They're certainly in the Black Lodge. Yeah, I guess the thing I was wondering is like, is that how they became, uh, how they came to be on Diva Loca, or did they travel there hundreds of years ago? Oh, I see. With with the predecessors of the Kinder, I don't know. Like, it doesn't. Was there a link established between the two planets? Because the leaders of this planet, well, he's called the Manusans. Federator, and he and he's he's, oh, yeah, he's right, the sorry. head of a federation. So yes, was Diva Loca part of that federation? I wouldn't have thought so, but maybe it used to be. I don't know. Do you remember? What the soldiers on Diva Loca uh, were? Did they come? Were they Earth Earthlings? Did they come from the Federation? Crap, Ola, I've just totally forgotten about Ooh, this. That's that, but that's an interesting point because they were definitely human. But then the Mara existed on Diva Loca before they turned up. That's that, right. That was yeah. part of the culture of the. I mean, otherwise, the only connection that I see is that Dojan suddenly is acting as though he were a kinder. He is not yeah. using his voice. He is communicating telepathically. He's got the exact same hairstyle. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of crossover. Yeah, yeah. I really like his cane, by the way. It's like a giant slingshot or one of those dental floss handles. I really like it. I want one of those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was, he 
It was kind of cool. Also a bit naff, but... <laughs> <laughs> and he was the predecessor of... I've now forgotten all the characters' names, but the 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 other guy, the <laughs> historian, you know, like geriatric Indiana Jones. What What's his title? What is he... What What is his name? You know who I mean, right? Um, the guy who's like I clearly working at the palace or whatever. I think he's called Ambril. I think this is Ambril, is it? Yes, you're right. Yeah, it is Ambril. So Ambrel is the new historian, uh-huh. <laughs> and Dojan was the old one. Like Dojan yeah. had that role before, and then he like, sort of went into some sort of self-imposed exile. Went into the desert, where goodness knows what he's eating. By the way, he must be <laughs> killing something with his dental floss handle and <laughs> just chowing on it. And um, yeah, so he is of them. He is a Manusan. So how does he like? Dag Nabbit. Like, there are certain things that have carried over from Kinda, and then there are other things that have been completely left out. Because his equivalent in the old episode is the the older lady. Do you remember there was, like, an old lady and a young girl, and they kind of reincarnated into each other? And, uh, here we have him. He's walking around. He also both of them had canes, so he's just walking around by himself, being the equivalent of the old lady. Yes, and I also wasn't entirely sure if he hadn't died sitting up at the end of it when they all just <laughs> they say goodbye, and but he's just sort of like sat there staring into space. <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> so Nissa first asks a question, and then Smithers reiterates it of why why Dojan didn't just like destroy the crystal when he had it. And yeah. did I miss whether they actually answered that? Because <laughs> I don't no, recall. I, I there being don't a reason. think they did. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, I don't think they did. Was he, was I mean, he just the... playing the long game or something? Like, well, like what kind of long game? There, there are know. a number of times in this episode where. <laughs> In the serial, where I don't think anyone's really understood the short or long game. You know yeah. when uh, when they are being held effectively captive by Macaulay Culkin, and Mrs. McAllister is there as well, as is geriatric Indiana Jones, and Smithers, Doc, and Nyssa, they're basically captured at this point. Kevin McAllister takes out the, or is about to take out the diamond, the real diamond, whatever it was called. The Diamond of Destiny, you know what I mean. The, the, blue, the Great Crystal. The Great Crystal, sorry. I don't know why I keep saying diamond. Yeah, the, the, the Great Telepathic Mind Snake Crystal. And Doc just has the first of not one, but two now moments. Oh, God, Where yes. he, just, he shouts now and runs off. But Smithers wants to take the crystal. He wants to take the crystal, and Doc just goes, no, don't do it. That's not the way to solve this problem. Yeah, that's very true Which as well. Mm. could tie into why Dojin also did not take the crystal and destroy the crystal. But how does Doc solve the problem? He takes the crystal and destroys the crystal. <laughs> so why not just do that? <laughs> I guess... Did they need to summon the Mara out and then destroy the crystal? Oh, Because otherwise the Mara are just always there and they could find another way to come back. Maybe that was the whole thing. It's like the crystal was like their gateway, but they could find another way perhaps. Oh, Whereas maybe. having the strength to destroy them when they've come through would be better. I don't know. I guess that makes sense. But there are also other kind of silly... Like when Smithers even asks Doc, hey, why didn't you want me to take the, the crystal? And Doc goes, that wouldn't have solved the problem. That wouldn't have destroyed them. It would just have postponed their arrival. It's like, yeah, that's a pretty good first step, Doc. <laughs> Postpone them. You're under duress. Everyone's really stressed over here. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to sit down and have my sandwich. 
Yeah, exactly. It's been three and a half episodes, Doc. <laughs> For the love of Christ. Also, you could take the crystal, go into the cave, summon the Mara with the crystal, and then immediately, you know, Jewish wedding the crystal. Just, like, step on it. Done. Yeah, true. <laughs> and it's great. Then you sit in a yeah, chair and someone okay. lifts you up. Some decimal points are definitely tumbling away from the score that's rolling <laughs> around my head. <laughs> Did you like the second now moment? Oh, I hated both of them. (laughs) (laughs) This is not a worthwhile way of escaping situations. Screaming now. now. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, by far the first one was worse because they were surrounded by guards literally shout now and somehow everyone falls over and they manage to run away. I mean, that's just insane. The second one was just the one guard. (laughs) (laughs) Well, at least that... Yeah, it's like two people jumping one guard. It's like, that's kind of okay. It's just, yeah. why do you have to scream now? <laughs> especially, Yeah, Doc. that doesn't necessarily help anyone. Oh, sorry? What was that? Like, especially coming from Doc. Like, if, if Smithers had shouted it, it wouldn't be quite so bad. But, you know, it being Doc's grand plan is pretty pathetic. <laughs> How do you feel about the Doc in this? Did you do well? I actually really liked him. Apart from yeah? these, these moments, you know. Yeah, I thought he was uh, he was on good form. How about yourself? Yeah, I agree. I think there's, I don't know if maybe this echoes something we said in, in previous Davison reviews, but I feel like he's kind of established himself at this point. He's a solid doctor. I still miss Tom Baker, and I miss maybe Pertwee for slightly different reasons, like the just the, the camp 70s action-adventure element of it. But I, Davison's absolutely established himself as this character. I am perfectly happy to watch this doctor and believe him. You know, really good stuff. Yeah. Do you do you feel like he's made enough of like his his version of the doctor or do you i don't know i just i sort of wonder if i'm hmm. watching him sometimes and then it's like oh this is a good portrayal of the doctor and it's because he's being a bit tom bakerish or he's yeah oh that's such know, a good question yeah maybe but it's so it's so light touch like it's feather mm. light everyone else has such an incredible like a, a very strong screen presence davison has less of that because he's maybe because he's so polite <laughs> like everyone yeah. else gets a lot of screen time everyone else gets a lot of attention when davison is around whereas Tom Baker, just by virtue of his personality, perhaps, just took over. When he was on screen, it was the Tom Baker show. And this is more of an ensemble piece rather than a doctor adventure. Yeah. He's also so helpless and hapless in many scenes. He doesn't command in a way that tends to... You know, that lends itself to being stamped with someone's personality. Someone yeah. who follows is constantly kind of mimicking whoever, whomever is leading. And Tom Baker, Pertwee, Troughton, Hartnell, they didn't follow. They always commanded. They set the tone and the pace. Yeah, I think I think maybe I am starting to see something forming with his doctor, but... I guess Mm -hmm. because it's come so late. That's the way it feels to me anyway. Like, it feels like it took a long time for me to warm to this Doctor and maybe for the writing to establish itself. It was a bit all over the place with what he was able to do and how he treated his companions and stuff. And having three companions probably didn't help with that. (laughs) Um, True. But I think... Yeah, I, I basically, I was, I was picturing that scene where him and Nyssa were in the cell. I think, so he's been in the cell for a while, and Nyssa comes to free him, goes off to get the key. And I, I think this is great for Nyssa's character as well. Like, she's she's doing a lot in this, this serial. 
which yeah. we can maybe circle back to. But yeah, she she very nearly kind of gets away with it, but gets caught stealing the key and gets locked up as well. And she's immediately like, ah, oh, we've got to get out of here and all this stuff. And Doc's being way more laid back about it and has that kind of, I've got a plan kind of uh, aspect going on, which you kind of expect from other doctors, definitely. And I... I kept I, that was what was in my head is like is this is this Davison doing a Tom Baker of being a bit nonchalant about I'm going to get out of here and actually I think rolling it around my head no I think Tom Baker would definitely would have done that differently it would have been written differently probably as well and that was yeah. that was more Davison's way of handling that situation which was still very much what we expect and like from each version of the Doctor, maybe? I don't True. know. True. <laughs> I think that resonates. There's also another thing. This didn't dawn on me until just now when you brought up that scene. I think Davison is perhaps also doing a Davison impression of Davison in Kinder. Because in Kinder, <laughs> he is also locked up in a cage. And another companion at the time, Adric, steals a key, goes there, tries to give him the key, but gets caught giving him the key and gets locked oh, up yeah. with him. Like, they've just straight up ripped off that scene in the sequel. It's, it's, I mean, it's not an unheard of tactic. Ghostbusters 2 is basically Ghostbusters 1. But the... <laughs> Do you remember how he acted, or reacted rather, when he was in the cage in Kinder? Because I have a feeling that it might might have been quite similar there as well. That he was just kind of nonchalant and figured, oh, we'll get out of here. Don't worry about it. We'll figure it out. Yeah, I think I think possibly true. I think um, now really pushing the glasses up my nose and getting my geek box out <laughs> yeah, here we go. in its fullest and p- picking the <laughs> picking the Star Wars tool out today. Oh, I think okay. actually, oh, here we go. Oh, this is I'm, be I'm feeling weirdly prequel vibes of Qui-Gon Jinn, maybe. The way that he oh, talks yikes. about being a Jedi and... I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, wow. All right. Yeah. Yep. You know, but it's, <laughs> it's this idea of, yeah, being calm in every situation, even when you're in the middle of a lightsaber fight and uh-huh. that kind of methodology. I think you can maybe get that from <laughs> Davison's where it's, he's just like, he's probably always thinking about a way to get out, are you, are out of the situation. Are you saying that Davison but, is kneeling on one side of the laser fence whilst Kevin McAllister's Darth Maul is um, doing, a, <laughs> doing his flash dance routine on the other side? Damn straight. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, those are perfectly analogous. Uh, also, how dare you bring up the prequels? Oh, yikes. Yeah. There are now two limp <laughs> pythons in the room. <laughs> I see what you're saying, though. Sorry, like all, all jokes aside, I, I do see what you're saying. But I personally, I don't see it from him in this one. I feel like it's like the diet version, the sugar-free diet version low-fat equivalent of Tom Baker in scenes like this, where Tom Baker would be mm. really nonchalant and just go, fuck it, and sooner or later they're going to they're gonna open the door and I'll just genius my way out of there. No problem. Davis, not so much. He seems maybe more pragmatic. It's like, yeah, we're locked. We can't yeah. really do anything about it. I, guess, I mean, he I does guess, explore I, his options. I agree. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I, I think I agree. I think you're right that it, it just feels like a maybe a dialed down uh, Baker doctor. Yeah, like super dialed down. Like all you yeah. can see, or, or if you <laughs> really zoom in, on the reading all you see is just the the faint radiation echo of the big bang <laughs> and that's it the big bang being tom baker but like that, that that's all it is <laughs> i bet but he does tom explore his being called oh, the big bang on occasion <laughs> yeah yeah oh a million percent <laughs> I was going to say, Davison does explore his options in that scene. So when, I I guess it's Nyssa shows up, either she's inside or outside the cage, I can't remember, but Nyssa's there and he goes, 
yeah, this this lock has there's nothing electronic, there's nothing sonic, there's nothing magnetic. It's a really primitive lock. There's no way for him to pick it. It's like surely that makes it even easier for him to pick. You know, just um, <laughs> I don't know. He has bottomless Mary Poppins pockets. Pull out some, you know, a, a a pin or something, and pick the lock. It's a regular key. Yeah, I also found that like it does it does get mentioned that this could be something the Sonic could deal with. I think Nissa. Mm. Um, I think yeah, I think the first conversation Nissa is outside the cell and they're trying to work out how to get Doc out, and he's yeah he's saying how basic a lock it is, which is not an excuse. You're totally right. Like this should not be a oh I could never possibly break this lock because it's really simple. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I was I was definitely like shouting in my head. What you mean a lock like your Sonic could have opened all the time? <laughs> is this? What's his face that's in charge of everything, just pissing all over the script, going, ha, you wanted to put a Sonic thing in here, didn't you? I am not doing it. (laughs) I think that's exactly right. Yes, I think you're right. (laughs) (laughs) But then, yeah, Nissa does mention it afterwards. I think when she gets put in the cell, like one of her first thoughts is, oh, if only we had the Sonic, you know. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Uh, Up until that point, by the way, I had forgotten that the Sonic was out of commission. Totally forgot about it. Yeah, me too. Until until the massive conversation about how simple a lock, yeah. lock it was. Then, then it was like, oh yeah, we don't have the Sonic anymore. Right, rub it in our face, you bastard. <laughs> <laughs> what about production value? I think there were a couple of things to bring attention to that were really good. I think the kind of market scene, would you call it market? I don't know. It was sort of fair as well. Like it had this... Yeah, the sort of um, low-rent and... Thor Ragnarok souk. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm a big fan. I'm gonna compare that to the rings of Akaten, a Carlton. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a hell of a trope in science fiction stuff in general. Yeah, but you kind of, you kind of love it, don't you? I, don't, I, I do anyway. I absolutely like these kind of loved it. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was and great. This felt like to me the the first one in classic Doctor Who that really got close enough to being like a busy market scene. You know? Oh. Oh, I like that. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, I'm gonna have to agree with wandering you. around. I think, I think the sound was quite good in this serial as well. Like the the music, I quite enjoyed oh. in a lot of places. But I think the sound as a whole. There was another point when they when they go out into the desert before they no whilst whilst they meet Duggan. So they go out into the desert and then they interact with Duggan and then they come back. And when they're coming back, they have the music from the festival coming as if it's like waving in over. Uh, over the wind and it really it really felt like they were outdoors like they were just a stone's throw away from the yeah. the actual festival grounds yeah i, I don't know yeah I, you're right that's a, I noticed like it. A good it audio like good mixing detail. and yeah. yeah and also yeah also, maybe the bbc is just stepping up their game yeah sorry yeah maybe also the um that outdoor scene which was a set like you could tell it was a set felt like uh, they... which one the one in the desert with the uh, yeah. dodge old guy yep so both both the ones where he's sat on his own and maybe is just surrounded by sand. I'm not sure, but but then I they, think he's, uh, he's surrounded by sand and some sort of like desert landscape matte painting. Yes, yeah, but he's he's a bit more in the what's the word? Like he's he's middle of nowhere sort of thing. Yeah, and then Doc Nissera and Smithers stop in the kind of outskirts place. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, so so they're in a they're in a set with some some kind of walls, like metallic structures in the background. Are and they it's, not the it's same obvious ones that, where he was sitting in the beginning. Or, or, is it is it not the same? Okay, maybe it's the same step. I don't know. But you can tell oh, it, but they no, haven't you gone might be right. to a to a 
to a beach or a desert to film that. That's yeah, no, you're right. They, yeah. they didn't fly to like uh, Morocco just to shoot that scene. No. That is... <laughs> but it looked good. And I think yeah. they used a different camera to make it feel like it had been shot oh. on location. I don't know if, if yeah, you picked possible. up on that as well. I didn't pick up on the different camera thing, but I, I mean, I, I, I'm definitely picking up on the BBC upping their game in terms of production value. So it, maybe there are just there are better cameras now, and there are there's better editing available now, and, and better sound editing, mm. and sound mixing equipment available in 1983 than there, there has been before. And like all of a sudden, perhaps the BBC just has access to all this equipment uh, and the skills. But that definitely, I, I get what you're saying. I, I do remember thinking when this started in part one, like, oh, wow, that is a matte painting. But it never it never stood out as like, oh, wow, that is a matte painting. Like, that is a guy who is surrounded by oil paints. It was never <laughs> anything like that. It was just beautiful, like, perfectly, like, seamlessly integrated, seamlessly composited. Also, later on, when we get that superimposed Tegan on top of slash inside of the snake, inside of the Mara's snake head. Mm, yeah. That's something we haven't seen before. There's an effect of, um, I think it's Dojin, by the way, when, oh yeah, it's when Doc and Dojin are having their like Vulcan mind meld by way of snake. <laughs> Here, <laughs> let the snake bite you and then we'll have a chance. Like, fuck, just like, talk to the guy. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so he he gets bitten by the snake. He's looking at Dojin or Do- whatever his name is, and his eyes are all wobbly, but nothing else is wobbly. And that's, I mean, even though it's it might be a slightly silly effect, it that it, there was no seam between the wobbly eyes and the rest of the of the picture. Which normally, yeah. whenever we've had, oh, you know, we've had some laser guns that kind of wobble part of the screen. It's anything but seamless. It is like massively evident, oh, you've applied an effect to this corner of the screen or to that corner of the screen. And here it is not. And I don't know if that's because they have a different camera or different lenses or because it's just so much more advanced than it has been before. Yeah. No, so it's such was, a long-winded an answer to basically say, I don't know. But <laughs> Yeah, there were, there were, I think the... the... Things involving Tegan were all done pretty well. The, mm. It was a little bit laughable at the end where she goes into the snake, um, but it it was done in a trippy way that kind of made me not care. <laughs> I really liked it. Yeah. When they're having their festival as well, they had the, uh, you know, there's a procession going through town, going through the like two or three locations that we've seen of this planet. And um, they're, they're carrying, some of them are carrying a, what looks like a paper snake. Mm. That paper snake is a better snake than the snake in Kinder. Like, than <laughs> the actual Mara snake in Kinder. Yes. They have so stepped up the, up their game. And also, like, the snake cave entrance. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, they came yeah, straight out of Indiana Jones. Really cool. That's amazing. Yeah. And the, the like, the secret um, entranceway that, with the slidey, slidey doors, which, I mean, I, I half blinked when they first opened and thought, oh, my God, that's an incredible mechanism. And then realized it's just, <laughs> like, a slightly weird-shaped door that, like, overlaps a bit. But still, it was really cool. I don't care. I like it. When they put the uh, crystal in right next to those slidey doors... Then, like, there are lightning bolts embedded yeah. within the wall that light up in the direction of of those sliding doors. That also, wow! Someone took care, like, great care, and invested money <laughs> into this set, which is quite surprising. Because another thing that I read was that um, what's his name, Kevin McAllister. 
apparently remarked in, I think this is in the bonus materials in the DVD, that Doctor Who was such a low-budget affair. Like, apparently he and, I can't remember, someone else said, like, oh, it cost maybe, like, 36p or 38p or something per episode. <laughs> Uh, like no like absolutely not some of this stuff must have been crazy expensive yeah i mean i have no idea what these things cost but i think i mean this is the staple of classic who isn't it that they for all for all accounts um had pathetic budgets but they managed to do incredible things with it yeah but like that snake doorway clearly took effort you know that's not just something that they put together slapdash Whereas the market, I can definitely say, like, oh, yeah, sure, that is probably a super low-budget affair. <laughs> like, you just get a few stores yeah, and you cover them in some rugs. Like, we never get to see any wares. We just know that there are, in brackets, probably very alien wares for sale there. But we don't get, get to see them because they don't invest in that. Um, that's fine. Uh, who cares, man? Well, they did have uh, another thing in that market. The uh-huh. first time we see it anyway, though... Um was a very nice like camera shot of sort of like starting up high and swinging in into the action as it were. Yeah. Which again, yeah. I don't I don't really remember seeing that in classic Who. I don't before. think so either. It's like a crane yeah. shot. Yeah. Which I mean is commonplace in other things and yeah. like probably was incredibly commonplace in the 80s like for in TV and film, but I don't know. I just don't, I don't recall seeing it that well used in classic in Who. Doctor Who no, no, nor I. You're right. Yeah, yeah. That's a I think that's a solid <laughs> solid fact. True science fact. There has been <laughs> 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 a distinct lack of <laughs> crane shots in classic who to date maybe like maybe we're, we're gonna find out that in 1983 cranes like camera cranes were popularized or like they became way cheaper to <laughs> to rent or something yeah, who knows um you know yeah. a weird little side tangent actually um uh-huh. we were just wandering around in berlin the other week and stumbled across some some <laughs> filming um oh really out, outside an old building and we saw them basically driving some cars around a corner, a load of soldiers jumping out the back and what? like basically going to storm a, an entranceway. And then they'd like cut and then had to drive all the cars back. And, you know, all the, all the soldiers jumped back into the, the truck and they all drove back again. And we, yeah, awesome. we stood there for probably 20, 20 minutes watching it. And part of it was, that was incredible, actually, and, and this is relevant, this is why I'm saying it, was uh-huh. they basically paused at one point. Everyone just sort of froze. All the soldiers had come out of the truck. They're all pointing their guns at some guards or something. And it's just like, pause. And they swung the camera that was like really far overhead into position to like do another shot. And it took like three minutes or something stupid like that you know everyone's just stood what? still where they moved a camera <laughs> and like this is this is current way of filming i don't know if it was tv yeah. or whatever yeah so imagine oh, doing can that you find in out what 1983 That's super exciting bbc budget yeah <laughs> did, did it look like a tv production or were what was like was vin diesel hiding around the corner <laughs> Uh, I didn't recognize someone. Although we looked up afterwards and realized that Keanu Reeves has been filming in Berlin and we've just Holy smokes. (laughs) What what was he shooting uh, Matrix 4? Apparently that is something. I think it was John Wick that he um, was currently (gasps) doing. There's another John Wick? I think so. Don't quote me on that. Maybe I got it wrong. No, I I feel like they're going to make a million of those. Make one more and like maybe end that franchise gallantly because the last installment was not great. Oh, okay. Yeah, first one's amazing though. Well, I mean, first one's yeah, it's it it's a film. It's good. Yeah, watch it. <laughs> <laughs>
it's a film. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we we've sung a lot of praises. Uh-huh. We've oh here we go. A few, yes, few issues. <laughs> Um, I don't. I don't know if I have some anything. Well, I have maybe like one thing which will knock a whole point off for me. Okay, <laughs> but it's it's not much of a discussion a point. It's point. just about yeah, because it oh, has Punch and God, Judy. In all right, it. I fucking hate Punch yes. and Judy. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, there's like a whole show. There's like an, an entire Punch and Judy show. Yeah, it's just ridiculous. And then with. It cutting between the shit Punch and Judy show and the gormless children not in the slightest bit reacting to it. It's like, no, fuck this. Get it off my screen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Like, why would you have that? A, why would you have that on some alien planet? Yeah. B, surely in 1983, everyone's already aware that Punch and Judy is really quite, like, it's really horrible. It's just about like a dude beating his wife. <laughs> and I, the, yep, a hundred percent. Yeah, it's horrible. And then the only twist on it here is that he gets eaten by a snake at the end of it. Like, oh, okay. Right, well, it doesn't seem like it was entirely worth it. No, no, I hate it. I hate it. Like uh, it, the the offensive reasons by far outweigh my annoyance with the general <laughs> puppetry of it. And I love <laughs> I love puppets. Like I'm a massive fan of the works of Jim Henson. But you know, yeah. these these I mean, types this of does things not compare. Just, just bullshit. <laughs> yeah, uh, Jim Henson is the Sistine Chapel. This is uh, someone uh, doodling a smiley face in poo. <laughs> <laughs> well put. Well put. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, <laughs> really proud of that one. The, the, the uh... <laughs> yeah, you're right. I don't know if I, I'm going to subtract an entire point, but yeah, point like. At least decimals are being with uh, subtracted, are being. Uh, it's going to cost something, surely. Yeah, it has to. <laughs> if surely, if not for the show, then for the stupid children. In, it's such a know, weird thing your, as well because they. they... <laughs> yeah, that's true. No, that is true. But uh, on the flip side, this production crew knew not to give those kids any lines. True. So those kids True. are there, but they're not expected to emote. I'm glad. Um, <laughs> certainly not in words. But the, uh, what was I going to say? I mean, yeah, so it's weird, I think, to have that Punch and Judy show because this is happening at the same time where so so much world building is happening. You know, there's there's tons of world, play, uh, world building um, taking place around them, we have that whole um, um, process, as in the the sorry, the procession of the the people with the snake. All of a sudden, there's there are people dressed as demons, and they have some maracas, and you have to give them a coin, or they'll pour water on you. There's the like, there is stuff happening. Even the Hall of Mirrors, sorry, not the Hall of Mirrors. Even the no, you know what? Yes, the Hall of Mirrors. That that guy, whatever his name is, Mister Lisladen. Even even his spiel at the market, even though it's something that takes that also exists on Earth, is more elaborate than a Punch and Judy show. It seems like such a cheap and lazy thing to devote several minutes of the serial to. It would be much better to devote those minutes to, for example, the guys carrying a snake around town and have the children be really excited by that. Yeah, I mean, I didn't massively love most of that stuff in general but i would much prefer <laughs> seeing that than punch and judy yeah i think that yeah when it went into full kind of ceremony mode and yeah the the jester like character where yeah 
Smithers, Ugh. Doc, and Nissa are literally running to try and get. I think, yeah, to try and save the day. And I think they're being chased at this time. And this weird jester character accosts them and basically demands payment or whatever. And Smithers is yeah. like, oh, yeah, we have to give him money. Always he pour water on us. It's like, no, tell him to sod off and get on with <laughs> yeah. the very important thing you're doing. <laughs> yeah, or take the maracas out of his hand and hit him over the head with it. Don't waste time. Yes. You have a species to save. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah. a very good point. I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> and yeah, the, the parade with the snake. The snake, you're 100% right, is better than the actual Mara snake in Kinder. But it's still just some people <laughs> dancing around the street with a snake in quite a cheesy crap fashion. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, by the way, there was another... Um, oh, actually, you know what? I've got two potential tangents from, from this point. Both can start with, oh, by the way, there was another. Would you <laughs> like one in the market or would you like one pertaining to the snake? Let's do the snake okay. one. All right, snake. We get a reference to the snake in Kinder being defeated with mirrors. And it's mm. it happens through, um, I don't know, some twist of irony that Tegan is looking into a mirror in the Hall of Mirrors, sees herself with a bonehead, the yeah, snake cranium, and the snake cranium talking to her. By the way, also excellent effect for 1983 in brackets of the snake cranium's mouth moving to mm. have a conversation with her. But it says, or she goes to, to bonehead, hey, like, I thought you were defeated by mirrors. And he goes, yeah, well, I mean, I was surrounded by mirrors. Here I'm just in a room full of them. That's not the same, is it? Like, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a bit of a slapdash right around, isn't it? <laughs> yep, <laughs> it definitely is. I mean, especially, like, I'm pretty sure the portrayal at the end of Kinder is that the snake is kind of lured into a trap and it starts seeing the mirrors going, ah, it's me. Ah, it's my yeah. evil reflection. I can't stare at it. Yes, exactly. And then <laughs> like the circle is completed and that's the point it's kind of undone. But yeah, it can't look yeah. at its own reflection. That's the point. Here we get it inside a mirror, inside a room full of mirrors. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah don't worry about it, buddy. <laughs> And also, like, I think you can see the angle where Tegan has stood and the mirror she's facing. There's a whole line of mirrors behind her. Like, so, yes. so what if if there isn't that three three mirror closing off bit to the right? You know, everywhere else there are fucking mirrors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Excuse me for getting getting the f bomb out there when I. Oh <laughs> no! Yeah, yeah, no. That, that definitely merited <laughs> deploying an f bomb. Yeah, well done. <laughs> I don't know why I'm apologizing. I probably do it all the time. <laughs> okay, the other thing was, um, you know what? There's another market act. In the beginning, we meet a fake soothsayer with a crystal ball who's super happy to volunteer oh, the yeah. truth to Tegan and go, yeah, actually, all of this is bullshit. <laughs> She, okay, she in my notes is referred to as Living Cushion, because that's what she looked like. <laughs> wait, wait, explain yourself. Living Cushion? Her outfit is, is a massive cushion. Like, her head yeah, you're right. goes into her shoulders. <laughs> well, like, her shoulders are absent. Her neck is absent. It's just the corner of a cushion. <laughs> Is it an absence of shoulders or is it an abundance of shoulder pads? Like, does she have shoulder pads reaching up to the top of her head? Uh, it's possible. I don't know. I, 
this character would not be out of place in the Mighty Boosh if you've seen that. <laughs> I think that's how. Oh right, yeah, it I've is. only seen a couple of clips of that. I never got into it. I need to. I need to give that a go. Actually, it's actually yeah, it's really good. It it has some ups and downs, and they they love a musical interlude, which are not always as good as they think they are. But okay. yeah, good stuff. Because a lot of the cast of the Mighty Boosh. Uh, turn up in uh, Garth Marenghi, right? And I love Garth Marenghi. Yeah, no, it's it's yeah. worth a watch. Okay, yeah, uh, I'll give it a go. Either way, I've got a question for you about the soothsayer. If you saw a snake skull inside a crystal ball, w- would you scream in terror? No, <laughs> it's the very right. simple answer I- to that. I would be, what the fuck's that? How have you done that? This is my crystal ball. Yeah. What did, no. Yeah, exactly. What oh, device wait, are, are you, you using? Also a carnival hoodwinking, uh, you <laughs> yeah. know, a fraud. <laughs> Teach me that trick. Yeah, when when did you swap it out for your your snake crystal ball? That's really cool. Can I borrow it someday? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, she could also have done a uh, Mr. Liz Sladen and gone, oh, that's a very neat trick. Uh, we could how about a partnership? It's fantastic. Yeah. In general, like I feel like her reaction was just it, it was inordinate. It was uncalled for. Yes, I totally agree. And I I think there are a couple of points of screaming in this episode of Serial, sorry. I've, I've only noted down another one, which is something we'll get to if I go into that segment known as Jim Does Cliffhangers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's hear it. <laughs> Take us away. Okay. <laughs> we have already spoken about the, or spoken even, about the end of episode one, which is the screaming living cushion, and then the crystal ball smashing. Indeed. Bit weird. Not the reaction that I expected from from a crystal ball. Would you count Uh, the other stuff that precedes the crystal ball reveal um, to be part of that cliffhanger? Sorry to to interrupt there. But like, um, uh, what is it? Yeah, like she takes off Tegan's iPad. Or iPod, sorry. And um, she takes off Tegan's iPod, probably assuming it's some sort of amulet or whatever. And then Tegan, maybe I'm misremembering this, but does Tegan not do the voice as well? Ooh, I'm not sure at this point. Maybe she she laughs a lot. Maybe I'm misremembering. Or maybe this happens way earlier. Yeah, I mean, it definitely, it runs up into it. And yeah, we're aware that Tegan is the one that's done stuff to the crystal ball. Yep. Uh, yeah, I just looked up the transcript. She says, look now, is, is like the last line she says. So yeah, she's, ah, yes. she's jeer- yeah, you're jeering right. on the soothsayer. Um, yeah. <laughs> after after her, she's had her iPod removed. Yep. And yeah, the continuation of this, is there's no re- revelation really, is I thought quite comedic that this very dramatic scream kind of just peters out when she notices that Tegan's disappeared. It's like, ah! <laughs> which yeah i mean how do you stop screaming like when you've gone you've gone full out at 100 you know you you can't you can't just slowly exit that one you have to have a dramatic pause but if someone distracts you it's like oh wait i was screaming no i don't want to anymore <laughs> is this still part one or is this part no this is in part two then this is the uh... so start start of part two is yeah it's just like the the, the continuation right, yeah. of the cliffhanger yeah but in that continuation, sorry, I've got a, a question about this as well. So in that continuation of the cliffhanger in part two, uh, when Tegan shows up, I mean, this is a little bit later in, in part two, Tegan shows up behind Nyssa and goes like, hey, here I am. Oh, yeah, by the way, I don't need the iPod anymore. 
Uh, lots of people have gathered there, and it's as though they've called, you know, the uh, Manusan police to check <laughs> yeah. out what's going on. And it's almost as though the soothsayer has it, like, collapsed or died of shock or whatever. But like, she's still in that tent, and there's a whole crowd gathered. That seems yeah. different from the uh, petering out of her scream. I mean, yeah, I I couldn't decide what because it, it seemed like the crowd gathering and Tegan's reaction to what possibly could have happened to the soothsayer did not yeah. fit in the slightest with what we saw. Yeah, which was a scream and then. Like, oh, where did she go? Uh, and yeah, so <laughs> suddenly she's meant to be collapsed on the the floor, screaming again, or something. I don't know. Like, because uh, apparently Te- Tegan says, like, she's kind of pleased with herself almost when she's talking to Nissa, because this is obviously like evil Tegan. And yeah, true. He's like, yes, yeah, she's still in there. She screamed and screamed. <laughs> and it's, yeah, do, do crowds really gather that much for someone that just screamed? I don't know. I guess so. Yeah, anyway, that All was right. uh, episode one's cliffhanger into episode two. Episode two ends with what we mentioned earlier with Lon and Tegan both taken over by the Mara, linking hands and speaking with one voice and it moving between oh, them. Oh, yes, that's true. And at the very end, Tegan's eyes start glowing red, which I think is the only time that happens, which is I, a bit of a yeah, weird, I think you're right. weird, weird detail to put in there. Anyway, they're doing this, like you said, to, I don't, they're not really coercing, they're just sort of threatening the showman guy, aren't they? Who have Yeah, they're who scaring the, the absolute crap out of him. Yeah. Which... I like him in that scene, though, by the way. I like him yeah. in that scene, and I like him in the scene leading up to it, where he's taking them to, or maybe following them to the cave. Because he's, uh, holy smoke, second Ghostbusters reference, or, yeah, whatever, in this review. I mean, enough to say that he really reminds me of Janosch in Ghostbusters 2, the guy who's following Vigo, the, whatever his name is, Vigo the Merciless, yeah. Vigo the, you know following him around he's very much like that he's like a diminutive renfield <laughs> yeah anyway uh sorry i interrupted you so how is that resolved i think well i don't actually have a note for episode three of that continuing i think maybe we just start with a different scene unless i've just i think you're probably right actually just messed up my notes so but i mean that's that's kind of a good way to deal with it because i think we don't immediately continue that next time we see the the showman guy he's part of the mara he's He's in the trance-like state. And yeah, I think that's, that's right. quite a nice way of, way of dealing with that scene. Yeah, good stuff. So yeah, don't have to worry about resolution stuff. Episode three is when we get Nissa screaming. This is what I alluded to earlier. Oh. So this is where Doc and Nissa have been released by Smithers, I think. Yeah. yeah. He's he's managed to sneak away, but Lon, Clunesy boy... Um, yeah, Macaulay Culkin. Totally, totally noticed that he nicked the key off the table and has gone to free the prisoners. And so yeah. moments later, he turns up with a load of guards and they're all cornered. And yeah, Lon shouts, kill them. And Nissa screams. Yeah. Which I don't Solid like cliffhanger. Nissa screams no. in that. But otherwise... No, okay. no yeah. you're right. The, the scream is perhaps unnecessary. Yeah. If I, if this is the kind of cliffhanger I don't like, really, because it's like they're bearing down on them with swords. It's like, oh, however they're going to get out of this, there's nothing they can do. And there isn't anything they can do because the resolution is that Tana, the mother, yeah, comes Mrs. around the McAllister corner. Yeah, shows up and goes, yeah, like, oh, no, don't do that, Start of episode Kevin. four. Yeah. Don't do that, bad boy. <laughs> yeah. You've not even eaten your greens. <laughs> Which, I don't know, it's just a bit pathetic. Yeah, anyway, those were the cliffhangers. Overall... Would you not say pretty pretty decent cliffhangers? Yeah, I think so. Yeah? Yeah, not, not bad. Okay, good. I am glad to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> 
there's um, uh, something that just dawned on me. One of the cliffhangers, which one was this? It was, was the Punk 2 cliffhanger where Tegan and Kevin McAllister are speaking with the same voice to to Janosch. And they're like, yeah, like there's a there's a duplication of sorts of Tegan. Her identity is all over the place. And mm. there's something similar also in Kinder. Because when she is in the, the Black Lodge in Kinder, at some point she gets to talk to herself and then all of a sudden there are four of them, then there are eight of them. You, you know, do you remember that scene? Oh, yeah, all yeah. of a sudden she's duplicated across the uh, across the board. And I wonder if they're calling, I, maybe that's far-fetched, but it feels like maybe they're calling back to that. No, oh, interesting. Actually, this is one of the more kind of nuanced questions I did have written down was... Oh. What what it really meant, because Tegan is obviously the one that still had the Mara in her. She's the one that succumbs to it to start with. She's like the patient yeah. zero type thing. And then she manages to pass pass it on effectively to Clunzi, but he still seems to have his own agenda. <laughs> Clunzi boy, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know I know him well enough. He'll he'll forgive me. <laughs> I love it because like I'm picturing George Clooney, but in Home Alone, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, sorry, go for it, go for it, sorry. <laughs> yeah, but basically, I didn't quite understand how that interplay worked. Like, was it the Mara was meant to be in both of them, but they still acted independently? Was Tegan meant to have tried to exert some control over? Clunzi, and if that was the case, why did he? How was he able to basically act so independently? Because actually, this is the thing that we didn't touch on earlier. Uh, Tegan is entirely absent from episode four, like, and a, and a lot of episode oh, three, she? I think. Yeah, it's almost like the character Wait, of the Mara. Oh, the character. Gets, yeah, you're kind right. of gets pushed, gets pushed over. Yeah, if you look at look up the transcript, like she basically doesn't have any dialogue in episode four until right to the end. Yeah, that's true. No, you're you're totally right. And there was a this is also from Trivia, there was a scene later on with Tegan and Doc talking about her psychological ordeal, but that got cast and it got moved to I'm assuming it's the next episode, Mordrin Undead. Um oh, okay. so so there is a there there was more Tegan in part four. But you're right. I mean, she's basically not in this. We see her when she's being hypnotized in the beginning. She's had a nightmare, then she is hypnotized, and then she is nothing. She's just wearing earplugs plugs until the the earplugs the the iPod gets taken off and she's boom she is the Mara and she is that until the very end yeah which is fine but, I mean yeah if, if Tegan had been in this it would have been the same tired Tegan spiel all over again yeah I'm, I'm I'm pleased not to have Tegan in this I'm down with it too yeah I just found it interesting that they set this up as well that um, Janet Fielding gets to play a different role, effectively. Yeah. But even with that, she's basically written out of one of the episodes, and Clunzi takes over, effectively. But yeah, <laughs> trying trying to go back to my point is I love that name. I really love you, that name. <laughs> 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 Good. Sorry, do, what was that? Do you think they were both like like I I mean, what is the Mara? Is it is it Gestalt? Is it individuals? Were they inhabited by different Mara personas? Like, how do you explain how independently they act upon the the the, the shared goal per se? Yeah, it's a super good question. I think it's dealt with differently in this one compared to how they deal with it in Kinder. So here. First off, when you are taken over by the Mara, you still retain, at least, or at least you're able to still retain part of your personality. Macaulay Culkin is still playing the part of Kevin McAllister, even though he's taken over by the Mara. 
Yeah. Um, and who else? Oh, yeah. Uh, Janos is still kind of Janos, even though he's taken over by the Mara. The only one who's not is Tegan, who is full on Mara, except when Doc intervenes and she's kind of able to speak through there. Uh, the end goal here seems to be for them to release that snake uh, at the end. And it seems like that snake is the Mara and everyone else is just somehow like basically poisoned by the Mara. Like they've been bitten by the snake and they are under the influence of the Mara. Whereas in Kinder, first off, only one person at a time could have that tattoo. Yeah. It wasn't that like anyone could be poisoned and you could have multiple people infected or you know, infect, you know what I mean, poisoned by the Mara. The Mara would take over one person at a time and that person would have a snake tattoo. So this is a very different thing altogether. I don't, maybe this is kind of a gestalt thing where, like, I, I, what I want to, okay, here's what I want to compare it to. I want to compare it to the, um, uh, the Autons and, oh, crap, what's it called? The Nestine Consciousness. Ah, uh, yes. Thank you very much, whobackone.com. So it's like, the Mara is the Nestine Consciousness, and in, in this one, I mean, not in Kinder, but in this one, the Mara is the Nestine Consciousness, the massive snake is the Nestine, and Tegan, and Janosch, and Karen McAllister, they are all Autons. So they're controlled by the Nestine, but they are not the Nestine itself. They're just sort of puppets. Mm. I guess that uh, kind of makes sense for what we see. It definitely feels, though, that, yeah, Tegan is a bit different even with that. I don't know what it was meant to be. Because the other thing with the portrayal in Kinder is it almost felt like from from the, the White Lodge scenes that there were, we effectively saw three Maras and she interacts with, I forget, was he called the trickster or something? You know, and he is the one that then basically oh, yes. takes over her body and he's the one that then transfers to the Kinder guy. And, you know, it's like a possession, effectively. That's what it felt like yeah, in Kinder. Yeah, you're right. Whereas yeah, there's, exactly. there's no individual Mara personality per se that's that's coming through Tegan in this one. It's a general personality which then comes through anyone that has been affected by the Mara. Sort of. But but Tegan is clearly the most affected, right? Yes. And when she looks in the mirror, she sees Bonehead, and Bonehead might be the Mara. Like, Bonehead might be that massive snake we get to see at the end. Yeah, true. Oh, see, I, I don't know if this has been entirely thought through in this serial. I feel like this is a scaled back, uh, scaled, uh, slightly... <laughs> less sophisticated, like more bombastic and more, I'm going to use the word again, formulaic and entertaining take on a serial that last season in Kinder was trying to be quite profound. Yeah, I think I think you might be right. I think, it's, yeah, it's almost like someone said, well, we really liked Kinder. We, we liked the concepts in it, and but we, we want to package that up in a more standard Doctor Who tale. And they went, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Realized someone must also have gone like, you know what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yes, exactly. It doesn't quite go into that package. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also certain that someone said, all right, well, if we're doing a sequel to Kinder, there is no way we are going full experimental again. Like, no one, we, we are not doing 40 minutes in the Black Lodge. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Um, l- last time someone definitely spiked the water supply. I'm having that tested before we sit down <laughs> and write in this one, guys. <laughs> <laughs> We haven't really talked about the the mother character played by Colette O'Neill, um, who I I don't mm-hmm. know in the slightest, but you know she's got some reasonable yeah, things she's great. To, her, to her name. She was very good. 
one slight question I did have over her character. There was a scene where Cloonsy Boy comes in all <laughs> bratty lord. <It> gets <laughs> yeah. And I think she's she's getting all a bit suspicious about things and stuff. And then like the next scene, I think he's he's like exiting the palace or whatever it is. And she's just like back to him, facing facing a window, maybe even just facing a wall. I'm not sure, and oh, just will yes. not engage with him. And at this point, I was like, "Wait, has he transferred Damara to her now?" But then the next scene, she's I thought so too. Fine. No, yeah, I thought so I'd, too. You're absolutely right. So, th- what was that? Was she, was she just pissed off that he was such a brat? <laughs> I don't know. I just find it really weird. Oh man, I totally forgot about that. The conversation that precedes her standing in the window frame is her going, why are you wearing those redonkulous gloves? Are you injured? Yes, I'm injured. Can I see? No, you can't see. So maybe what they did, like what they cut was her actually seeing the tattoo and him, I don't know, you know, manipulating her into into submission using his snake charms to um, um, silence her. Yeah, maybe. It, it definitely just, it feels like you say, they either badly edited something out that was yeah. important to add to that scene, or, yeah, they, they forgot to actually finish the the thing that was set up by that in the script. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was a shame, because uh, otherwise, I think um, her portrayal of that character and the interactions between her and her son were really good. I think a lot of the the weird kind of lordly interplay um was really fun actually and um like these are the kind of characters you sort of love to hate in a way like the upper class snobs that <laughs> don't really care about their the people that they're meant to be lording over sort of thing yeah with, with their inherited titles yeah because macaulay culkin has no tangible qualities he isn't knowledgeable as in he isn't clever he isn't resourceful he isn't good um, he isn't even strong if it's that kind of society where that would be valued. He he shows absolutely no tangible qualities, but he is going to inherit the throne, or yeah. not, not the throne, the the leadership role, and everyone looks up to him for that reason. It's weird. Maybe he owns more sand than anyone else. There was one scene between him and his mum that I found absolutely vomitastic, and that is in part four. <laughs> In part four, he reaches over and touches his mum's chin, like holds her chin and just says like, uh, um, uh, she goes, do you have a surprise? He touches, like he's touching her chin already. Alarm bells are ringing. Uh, And he goes, "Uh, yes, I do, mother, or something like that. Like gross, okay, gross. You should never touch your mother's chin like that. That is reviling. <laughs> I don't think I actually saw that, but yeah, that's, that's oh, disgusting. Oh, oh shit! I'm I, I'm really I'm I'm literally on the cusp of hurling right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, is this a good point then? Maybe to have a little pause and then we'll gather ourselves and come back and rate this. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. <laughs> And now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 la. Ratings. But a bing podcast land, we have arrived at the hour minis section of this podcast episode. And, uh, yep, you guessed it, Jim. <laughs> Lightning hands cakes. <laughs> one the index finger on tip of nose game and thus i am starting us off with my review so here we go all right i'll bookend it with this starting i like this episode 
I like this era. I really do. I think it exhibits some really, really good writing. There's the world building, obviously. I really want to know more about this federation. I feel like we get a sense of all the, you know, like the cultural aspects at play here, the ceremonies, the history, the yada, 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 the social strata at play. Very interesting stuff. Also, Doc and Nissa trying to focus their thoughts into a telepathic crystal. Yeah, that's a sentence. <laughs> uh, and and it bears relevance to this. That's That's good writing. It also... Include some slightly less optimal writing. Oh, taking some readings and it's 98% terra normal. That's a little heteronormative, isn't it? The six faces of illusion, what no one's thought to count their own face. What kind of a historian is this guy? Like, it's a helmet. Your head plays a part in it. Shit. And also the whole, you know, the Mara were created by the ancient, um, what are they called? The Samarans? Um, oh, Samarans. Wait, is that a thing? Is that the name? Oh, whatever. As we discussed, doesn't seem like this was thoroughly thought through. Acting is top notch, uh, I think, throughout, though. Doc, excellent. We already covered him. I would like to add a very nice touch. There's one scene in particular that kind of stood out as, oh, yeah, this might be a Davison thing, in fact, even though it's slightly Tom Baker light. And that was when he was on his way out of the TARDIS. Nissa has just opened the door. He closes the door, stands in front of the closed door, turns around, has to reopen the door in order to exit. And there's that slightly clownish element. We got a similar thing with Davison, I think, in the last one, where he's heading down a corridor in one direction, stops, turns around, walks like maybe one pace towards the camera, then turns back around and heads in that direction anyway. Like th there's, there's an element of almost slapsticky confusion about him, which, which I really like. Nissa, perfect as a single companion. This is the formula that they should have stuck with. Doc, Nissa, and some character of the week. Great. Speaking of which, the Companion of the Week award goes to Smithers, who was perfectly serviceable, but the character of the week, BAFTA, has to go to Kevin McAllister, who steals the show with his prosciutto-level screen emoting. Great start <laughs> to an, a strong, albeit relatively modest, career. I'm not sure why his face isn't commonplace on movie posters. Do you know what I mean? Don't know where that came from. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe this martini is hitting me. Um, Tegan, obviously, also great. Absolutely solid. We already covered that. But it, it, yeah, I don't know. Kevin McAllister kind of did it for me. Production value also gets a nod and a high five from me. Fantastic guard uniforms. Great paper snake. Much better, like, regular snake. Much better tattoos than before. Like, in general, solid snake action. Not to be confused <laughs> with solid snake. But great, yeah. Some great expensive sets and some great use of inexpensive ones as well. Anyway. I'm going to round this off by saying, I hate to say this, <laughs> except I don't, because I love saying this. This is a great episode. Shit, I did it again. This is a great serial. <laughs> and I like great serials. I've said great. Like, if, if it turned this into a drinking game retroactively, rewind this mini and drink every time I say the word great, because holy smokes, you're going to feel great. Anyway, <laughs> I do like great episodes. And ipso facto, I like this one as well. And therefore, this may shock you, Jim Cakes, but I'm giving this a 4.3. What the... Holy moly. Wow, that has shocked me. <laughs> wow. Yeah, martinis are great. <laughs> wow, good stuff. Oh, shit, I'm going to regret that, aren't I? Oh, crap, it's clearly not a 4.3. What am I doing? Okay, yeah, no, okay, I'm sticking with it. <laughs> ride the wave, dude, ride the wave. It's good, okay. Yeah, yeah I'm going to sip my martini. <laughs> well, I have to follow that. Oh, hmm. Someone, mm. please yeah, clear the stage. I'm going to guess a 2.7. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, okay, I've I've got some thumbs up, some thumb down stuff. With the thumbs up, mm-hmm. I have well, first on my list was maniacal laughter. There's a good level of that from various characters. I think probably name, namely Tegan and Lon in Mara form. But yeah, yeah, great stuff. When maniacal laughter is done well, I appreciate it. It can be done terribly. It was not done terribly here. Good stuff. <laughs> The production values, we, uh, yeah, we basically covered everything I, I wanted to say. But yeah, I felt like, yeah, they either had access to new stuff, like you've suggested, Leon. Maybe they had different camera equipment. Maybe they just realized they could do things differently and they tried it out. Obviously, this is not as experimental yeah, as they were maybe. with Kinder. But yeah, it felt like there was effort here. And it was, you know, the, the fruits of that effort paid off and we got to appreciate it. Good stuff. Clunesy, Lon, amazing. <laughs> Friggin' loved him in this. You're right, actually. How how does he get nice. kind of like just stuck in British TV land? Someone should have picked him up when he was younger and yeah. thrown him into movies and stuff. But yeah, his his range in this. He might have been um, not that impressed with his performance, but you know he plays the sulky brat really well. He plays the confident lord really well. He plays the evil bastard really well. He plays the <laughs> I'm an evil bastard, but I'm the lord, and all of you people are going to respect me really well. You know, it's yeah, it's very enjoyable to watch <laughs> every time he's on screen, and to a lesser extent, but in the same mindset, Doc is really good in this. The note I had mm. like as a as a major plus point was. I think it, it kind of built through the episode of uh, Serial. I'm doing it now. The Serial. <laughs> but, at, <laughs> but at one point, you know, I just wrote down Doc's energy in trying to find a solution. Like, I think maybe he had actually literally bounded off the floor after they um, were trying to do the kind of mind telepathy with the stone. I don't know what it was. And they were sat in the TARDIS. And he's just like, yeah, his... his I think that's something Davison can, can sometimes bring quite well, actually. Like, his slim, lanky form can just imbue a bit of energy that you maybe didn't see in the previous classic doctors and suddenly it's like yes this oh, nice. this is a youthful doctor and you f- you feel that energy sometimes so that's good stuff nissa yeah you were right to that's highlight point, this yeah. sorry you yeah agree with me <laughs> no no go for it no no i'm just agreeing with you i'm just agreeing with you sorry 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 go for it i'm trying i'm trying to get through as quickly i don't know why i'm just uh on a wave i'm gonna shop myself up with an mm, olive tasty Nissa, mm. yeah, mm. she she's really good. I totally get what you're saying as well. This would this could be the perfect formula. The Davison Doctor and Nissa mm. would be amazing to watch all the time. I don't know what they're going to do with Tegan next time round. And this time it was fine. She played a different character, <laughs> and Nissa got to be useful. They they had wonderful scenes like when they were trying to decipher the pictograms together and they were both you know giving giving suggestions it wasn't just doc kind of using this as a sounding board that's what we want from that character she's useful and intelligent mm. resourceful even um and the resourcefulness came into play when doc was locked up and she was trying to get him out of there and he was being the nonchalant doctor kind of waiting for things to happen you know she managed to track down the key like very nearly stole it and got back to him but she got caught along the way Hmm. All good stuff. Yeah. Mara Tegan, good as well. But it's not Tegan. It's a different character, but it was a good portrayal. Thumbs up. Uh, things in the negative column. There are a few too many sort of disconnected moments. I've got a, a handful noted down. So that, yeah, that weird scene we talked about where the mother won't talk to Lon, it, you know, it just feels like it didn't have a connection to anything else that happened in the storyline. There's a very, very weird moment where Doc physically helps Nissa down a tiny step, I think, when they're coming back from the desert. And she rightly pulls him up on it. 
Oh. And like he literally just kind of grabs her and moves her down the step without asking her. And she's she says, Oh, thanks, but I didn't need that help. Um that's just really weird. Like nice. sexist, sexist I, I completely blanked on that part of yeah. the scene. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Just, oh, well done, Nissa. Yeah, it's good that she stands up for herself, but it's weird that we have a sexist doctor in that place in the yeah. first place. Anyway, sorry to interrupt. Do you think it's a sexist thing, or do you think it's like an almost paternal thing? Because she is, she's meant to be incredibly young, isn't she? I mean, I guess so. But can you imagine him doing that to Adric? No, that's true. I mean, surely he must have just wanted Adric to die every <laughs> single week, <laughs> picking him up and throwing sorry, him off the, the nearest it. cliff instead of the down the slight <laughs> step. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, Doctor. I I thank you, but I didn't need that. That's not what Adric sounded like. I I also picked up on the stupid. It's a six face headdress, but I only count five. Thing. Oh no, fuck that. That's that was like two minutes of <laughs> unnecessary so scene. Dumb. <laughs> it's so stupid. Yeah, take this man's archaeology badge away from him. <laughs> His story, no shit story. That's what he's got. Anyway. <laughs> That doesn't even make sense. The booze is hitting us. Uh, another, I found slightly weird moment is when Lon is like he's managed to convince Ambril to do his bidding sort of thing, and he's taking him to the the Mara cave to find all the artifacts. But he wants to blindfold him, and I don't know. I just found it just like an unnecessary oh, yeah. detail at this point. Like he he knows some weird shit is happening. Why you know this Lord is taking him to some place he's never had any interest in. Like, he's suspicious as hell. Like, would he really cared if Lon then puts his arm up to the door and opens it? It's like, okay, fine, show me the artifacts. And, you know, no, they have to go through this whole weird blindfold routine. Anyway, minor niggles, really, yeah, but right. they they kind of add up in a serial and they feel like, yeah, someone's cut some corners somewhere, which is a, a bad taste to leave in your mouth. Anyway. hey all. <laughs> Yeah, that <laughs> that snake at the end. That's the taste it's leaving in your mouth. <laughs> the the bigger thing I think is just how unclear it is what the Mara are is. I think actually they refer to the Mara as a single entity. I think Doc's last line is the Mara has been destroyed. Anyway, uh, I think oh, it's right. Okay. It's, unclear what they are in this serial it's even more unclear what they are compared to what they were in kinder which is a is a shame because they were quite an interesting concept and i feel like it was only last season like it's not that hard to stick to some rules you established like they decided in this one for some reason that the mara can stay in multiple people whereas before it could be only be in one person and I don't know, it just yeah, it just bothered me quite a bit that they can keep they've decided to bring this this entity, for want of a better word, back and but they decided to change the rules. I don't know. But the the ultimate thumbs down in my book was no matter what the pros and cons were, to me this wasn't as good as Kinder. I've I've settled on that. Oh man. Yeah. I liked the experimentation <laughs> oh, no. in Kinder. Oh no. <laughs> I liked the Okay. The craziness of some of the characters in Kinder, like the absolute insanity with the the second in command human, um, I've forgotten his name. You know, you can't mend people. Like the, there was just a real <laughs> a real kind of stamp on that that's missing from this one. This one is a bit more formulaic. Oh man, really? Yeah. I really did not like that in Kinder. <laughs> It's incredible. I'm just looking. You you gave Kinder 3.9. Yeah. So this is the thing. I gave Kinder oh, 3.9. No. 
And I, I could probably go as far as giving this a 3.5, maybe. But you remember how I was talking about Punch oh, and really? Judy? I can't take a whole point off a of Punch. I forgot about Punch yeah, and Judy. I can't Judy. take a whole point off. That would be unfair. But I can take a whole half point off. So I'm giving this 3.0. <laughs> Oh, well, I completely forgot about Punch and Judy. Uh, well done. <laughs> oh, that is so much more accurate a score than mine, isn't it? Oh, well done. <laughs> Apologies for the very long rambling. No, that one, that one was perfect. <laughs> wow. Shall we have a listen to Podcast Land? I think we better find out if we're on the right side of stuff or not. Yeah, well, one of us might be. Listener <laughs> <laughs> Now let's hear from Podcast Land. Max to- 50, or it would get out of hand. Kablamatron! <laughs> welcome to the... Oh, it's been a while since I said <laughs> that. Uh, welcome to the listener mini section of this podcast episode, dearest podcast land. We have how many minis, Jim Cakes? I believe it's seven. One, two, three, four, seven? Holy smokeroonies and Indeed. cheesecakes. Mm. Don't read anything into this podcast land, but we are going to read them in their entirety. <laughs> Also because I feel like we've blasted through this review. Like it is earlier than I expected it to be. Not for you, obviously. I'm so sorry. It's already midnight where you are. But yeah, here we go. First out the gate, we've got... Stephen. Stephen from Canada. Canada. Hello, Stephen. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, Stephen. Stephen starts... I don't know why, but I really have not been able to get into these Mara stories. Kinder, I didn't think, lived up to its reputation, and this one I simply did not enjoy. Oh, I'm sorry, Stephen. Typically, I get through each story in an evening or afternoon, but this one took me four days to get through. Yikes. I just was not invested. It was nothing to do with the length. Uh-huh. Heard that before. <laughs> or pace. <laughs> I've sat through all of the Daleks' master plan in one sitting. Bravo. I guess these stories just weren't for hmm. me. Stephen continues. I was glad to see plot points carry over from other stories. I thought the chemistry between the Doc and Nissa was fantastic. Oh yeah. I liked the archaeology aspect with the artifacts and dead civilization. And I thought the last scene was somewhat touching. But those are all the nice things I can say about the story. Hmm. Already, Tegan isn't my favourite of the Davison Companions, so watching a story of her going absolutely bonkers (laughs) was not entertaining and just felt tedious. Hmm. It's our friend that doesn't agree with us. (laughs) We were just appreciating her not being Tegan. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, Stephen continues, gone is the surrealist aspects of Kinder, like the dimension with those scary ghost people, and it's all replaced with nothing but dumb pink sticks. It's just lost whatever edge it had. While I usually praise them, he continues, the costumes are uninspired. Nothing but robes. Jerry Seinfeld-esque pirate shirts and tacky snake tats that would make John Pertwee blush. It doesn't compare to some of the unique and beautiful designs in any of the previous episodes. I can sort of see why people like it, but for me, this whole story is just a load of mumbo-jumbo and earns 1.5 clearly plastic fake glass crystals out of five. Oh, wow. <laughs> nice. He adds, I bet this score will really skew the statistics for this one. <laughs> it may not, Stephen. We don't oh, know. This is fantastic <laughs> stuff. Yeah. yeah, we're about to find out. Uh, dude, excellent mini. Thank you so much for sending this in. This is very good stuff. <laughs> yeah, thank you. And uh, thank you for referencing Pirate shirts i assume this is a reference to clunzy's outfits of which are there are two like he the thing he wears we didn't talk about his outfit the thing he wears the whole time is pretty ridiculous but then his his regalia at the end is incredible (laughs) like the blue clouds (laughs) it's so So good 
<laughs> it's like they've put so much effort into the helmet, into the headgear, but then his blouse <laughs> is so yeah, nice. Nice. I mean, The clouds are like my first patchwork. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, holy moly. Okay, I'm sorry. A slight tangent, but do you know what I really missed in the ritual? The freaking six-headed mask thingy. Oh, yeah. Why wasn't that part of the ritual? That would have, like, uh, hey, maybe uh, maybe incorporated, you know? Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Thanks again, yeah, Stephen. thank you, Stephen. Who's next? Jim Kings? Why, it's Kieran Evans. Oh, what up, Kieran? Hello, Kieran. Kieran starts. <laughs> the Mara is back. So it's a sequel to last season's Kinder, <laughs> which is what the DVD of this one is packaged with. But sadly, I don't feel it is as strong. The Doctor being locked up in episode Ooh. three and the generally slow pace doesn't help. It's also very exposition heavy. Something even pointed out on the DVD commentary by Janet Fielding. Hmm, interesting. In Kinder, we get a good understanding of the Kinder society, but here, not really. More things are left vague and unexplained. Now, yes, that isn't always a bad thing, but here it is as we struggle to understand why people are doing what they are. The setup is just not as well-crafted and involving, and I feel there are less likable characters in this one than in Kinder. Perhaps I should stop comparing it to Kinder, but as a sequel, it's only natural. It is true. Oh, man, uh, I am starting to regret my rating. This <laughs> <laughs> is very solid stuff. Kieran continues, still, there's some inventive and very interesting visual stuff in this one, the Hall of Mirrors scenes, but again, I feel it is lesser to kinder. Fiona Cumming is trying to do stuff with the direction, but the writing is just a bit fabby, so you don't notice as much. Creeping around corridors just seems to waste time so much, and the end of part three cliffhanger is so random. Not really much to say here, it does kinder again, but not quite as well. And Kieran gives this 3.3 out of 5 violent Punch and Judy shows with snakes. <laughs> oh, dag nabbit. <laughs> oh, well, here's your friend who agrees with you, Jim Cakes. I mean, a bit. I feel like Kieran dumped on this more than I did and still gave it a higher rating. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. It just obviously it? doesn't hate Punch and Judy as much as me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very good stuff, Kieran. Yeah, great Excellent. stuff. Excellent you. mini. So that's two for two now. Very, very good stuff. People who are not Kieran can follow Kieran on the tweets. He can be found at K Jevons. Two. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> or Thanks very much, Kieran. K Jevons. Duh. <laughs> Love it. Love it. <laughs> Keeping both. You're welcome, Kieran. Uh, and thank you. Who's next, Jim Case? It's Ed Corbet. That's right. It's Ed Corbet or Ed Corbett. It's one of those. That's right. It's Ed. I feel like I've settled on Corbet and I have no idea oh. if it's right. I'm sorry, Ed. <laughs> I reckon Ed enjoys us pronouncing his name either yes, way. Yes, you're probably right. <laughs> anyway, what does Ed have to say? Ed says, Nissa tries to lure the fifth doctor with the most garish outfit ever. It might have more appeal with the sixth doctor. <laughs> Yeah, true. When previous doctors futilely tried to warn people of impending doom, I'm thinking, why do they never listen? With the fifth, it's, nah, I wouldn't buy it either. <laughs> <laughs> he only has one song as well. It's the Mara! Blah! <laughs> <laughs> It's it's a good good hit, I think. Yeah, I have the yeah. EP. <laughs> Dude, if he didn't listen to you during office hours, he isn't going to listen when you ruin his dinner party. Fair. <laughs> That's point so <laughs> true. Yeah. How does he even get into that dinner party? I can't remember. <laughs> Ed continues. 
Martin Clunes, aka Clunesy, does a good job of playing arrogant slacker Lon, the annoying youth Adric only dreamed of <laughs> being. But he looks ridiculous in the traditional costume that's an exact recreation, quote unquote, of the one his ancestor wore when defeating the Mara, in brackets, did it laugh itself to death? Yes, it did, Ed. Yes, it did. <laughs> oh, genius, Ed. Well done. Ed continues, like Pyramids of Mars, we have a main villain that menaces its return while its hench people provide the actual opposition. But Lon and Tegan aren't menacing. In Pyramids of Mars, Sutek's threat was clear. Stop him or everything dies. And he was originally defeated by the Osirans, who are now dead. The Mara's threat is significantly vaguer, and the people who defeated it the last time are explained to be living in the hills and could potentially return. Then Doc defeats it quite easily by... I don't remember. I think he used the power of love or something. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, why did I give this a higher <laughs> rating? Also, wait, what? They lived in the hills? I totally missed that. That's amazing. This this would be the snake dancers, I suppose. Oh, yeah. oh, maybe. There weren't references yeah. to that. I yeah, I didn't really piece together what that was meant to be. Whether there was a legend or whether they were people that were exiled. Uh, I don't know. I thought this was just the town from Flashdance. You know, like you're not allowed to dance, so all the snake dancers have had to go into exile. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, Ed, Ed, Ed's probably onto it. I think I think this is probably it. Anyway, Ed has not quite finished because the summary that Ed gives us is this story is fine, but this is the second series in a row where we have a returning villain that no one asked for. So, based on all of that, you might not be be surprised that Ed gives this two point six out of five. Oh man, that is some seriously good stuff. Oh God, boy, oh boy, do I regret my rating <laughs> Get more so with every every mini here. Thank you very much ed that is yet another solid mini great stuff who we got next next up holy moly i'm glad you asked because next up it's peter zunich it's the zunmeister hello peter what up peter holy smokes i saw peter emailed us and i still have I, i'm so sorry peter i am so sorry i will i will endeavor to get back to you before this episode drops <laughs> peter starts I have a major problem with this script. The problem is I can't write a script this perfect. Ooh. Yes. Bait and switch there, Peter. Here's my friend who agrees (laughs) with me. (laughs) The dialogue is beautiful, and there are so many lovely little moments that both relate to and or remain outside the main plot. All of the characters are perfect, and every single actor from the lead to the bits are amazing in their role. Everyone shines. We also get a world so alive and fully realized with varied locations, eye-catching sets, and beautiful costumes screaming of a distant culture. We're compounding on a story we already know, but delve even deeper with an entrancing backstory and exposition worked in so naturally that it's never distracting. Holy moly, Peter. Yeah, you hear that? Everyone else who said anything about this serial? (laughs) I mean, Peter, why don't you just marry it? Come on. (laughs) I would officiate. That is... (laughs) Okay, this is a solid first paragraph to this mini. Peter, thank you. You have renewed my faith in this serial and uh, (laughs) in myself. (laughs) Here's my friend who agrees with me. All right, here we go. Peter continues... The directing is also flawless. Wow, he really does like this. Indeed, we even get a better snake this time. Unfortunately, however, it's only a minor improvement over Kinder. 
it only looks better because it's not as big. Kidding aside, it's used better this time, <laughs> which helps tremendously. But why Janet Fielding couldn't hold a solid rubber snake over a balloon escapes logic. <laughs> Uh, Peter continues, the only thing missing here is a mention of Pertwee's Metabellus three crystal, which was also man-made and oh, had yeah. many of the same properties. Hmm. If Big Finish hasn't so done true. a linking story, they need to. If they have, someone please tell me. I want more. I want the novel book series exploring the Mara universe. <laughs> And he concludes, if you don't agree that this is one of the best Doctor Who stories ever, you're simply wearing a five-headed ceremonial helmet. <laughs> <laughs> and Peter gives this a 4.9999999999999. Holy moly, and so on and so forth. Wow. <laughs> Wowie. Wow, indeed. I mean... Oh, that is that is such solid, uh, full of love, huge heart praise coming from Peter. Love it. Absolutely love it. Yes, there's, there's a lot of heart and warmth in that. It's obvious. Thank you so much, Peter. And, I mean, do we have to round this up to a five? He, he didn't write five, but he basically did. <laughs> he, he basically did. I think sort of by, <laughs> by who back when rules, we would be uh, rounding this up to a five. But I, I, I feel like... Uh, we can respect his score. He's he's agreeing that there's a teeny tiny tiny like infinitely small sliver of imperfection in this serial. Uh, you gotta tip your hat to that. Thank you very much, Peter. Huge, absolutely tremendous, Kinder snake-sized heart. <laughs> yes, Peter. Indeed. Well done. <laughs> but the heart is just so so full of love. It sees all the mirrors around it, just going, "Oh, give me more, more mirrors! I want to see my big heart everywhere." <laughs> Unlike the Kinder Snake. <laughs> Thank you, Peter, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> oh, next up. Oh, I believe it's one of these. Three, two, one. New reviewer. New reviewer. <laughs> I mean, that won't be remotely in sync. <laughs> No, probably not, but absolutely worth it. Holy moly, welcome aboard, Caleb. Very nice to make your acquaintance. Caleb from Australia. Hello, Caleb. Dum, dum, dum. Caleb from Australia. Dum, dum, dum. <laughs> Caleb from Australia. Dum, dum. <laughs> right, so, I mean, that might happen every time you write in, Caleb. I mean, it um, might. Welcome aboard. Caleb starts... Hey, hey, hello! Snake Dance feels almost like Art House Who for me, with dynamic visuals composed by the ever-inventive Fiona Cumming. An eerie and pant-wetting, in a good way, score from Peter Howell, and brilliant performances that perfectly complement the unnerving, possession-inclined plot. Mm. Mm, nice. Hey, here's your friend who agrees with you yeah, about the music. And it seems your friend agrees with you on everything. <laughs> praise, praise, praise. Yeah, hey, what up, Caleb? Yeah. <laughs> Caleb continues Tegan's dream visuals are totally bizarre and have a sort of expressionist quality about them that extends to the lavish sets of the story with geometric deserts and caves the arching house of mirrors and the borderline German expressionist jail cell are standouts wow yeah. I feel like oh, Caleb, yeah. Caleb knows their art yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, indeed. Very impressive. Uh, Caleb continues, the episode is a great extension of Kinder. 
as we're able to see how a civilization closer to our own integrates the Mara into their society, reflecting the real-life recession and evolution of religions seen today in Western civilization. Mm-hmm. I find the Doctor's confrontation with the Mara had a greater payoff in this story than that in Kinder, with still rubbery, but better special effects. I conceptually love the image of Tegan's head <laughs> inside the Mara's unhinged jaw. Side note, I appreciate oh, yes. that Nyssa finally has something to do. Right? Yeah, agreed. A million percent. A million and seven. I love snake dance, Caleb concludes. I think it's stylish, creepy, and better realized than Kinder, an episode I really like. One of my favorite Fifth Doctor episodes for sure, and in my eyes, almost perfect, which is why I'm giving snake dance. <gasps> A 4.7. Whoa. It's Caleb and Caleb's huge Australian heart. <laughs> <laughs> That's good stuff. <laughs> Welcome aboard, Caleb. Thank you so Holy much moly. for such an awesome mini. Yes. Oh, infinitely thrilled to be traveling down this temporal road with you, Caleb. Very, very welcome aboard. Keep sending them in. Do, 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 do. Who's next, Jim? It's Neil. What up, Neil? <laughs> Hello, Neil. <laughs> Every bloody time we get into these minis, we just go off off a cliff face. I'm sorry. Hello, Absolutely Neil. Off the rails. Yeah. How's it going, mate? <laughs> what up, Neil? Neil starts with some greetings and stuff. But yeah, the actual review starts with, with Tegan off being possessed again, we have the second story in a row with Nyssa being more or less the sole companion. And I think it works really well. So do we, Neil. Mm -mm. I enjoy the bit of silliness at the beginning when the doc fails to notice her new costume, despite her clearly wanting his reaction. There's also a great moment. Yeah, and her costume being absolutely redonkulous. Oh, sorry, I just cut you off there, but holy smokeroonie, is that costume. (laughs) Yikes. Yikes bananas. (laughs) Maybe this is feeding into what you were saying about, you know, almost kind of writing it off as not sexist that he picked her up. It's like, is that outfit meant to be a child picking out clothes? (laughs) I don't know, like trying to regress her down a bit. Anyway, back to Neil's review, because that was a massive tangent. (laughs) There is also a great moment where the doc helps her climb down a rock, and she hits him with this bit of sass. Thank you, but it wasn't necessary. Sorry, should I just carry on reading reading Neil's review? That was exactly the point. (laughs) There's like like a perfect inverted circular segue. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Uh, Neil continues, speaking of Nissa's new costume, it's fucking horrible. Oh, man, seriously, why do we keep interrupting? (laughs) Neil's totally on the ball. Uh, Sorry, Neil. (laughs) Neil continues, but amazingly, it's not the worst costume on display in this story. That prize goes to the, the ridiculous creation that Bratty Lon has to wear for the ceremony horrendous indeed colette o'neill as tanner and martin clunes clunesy as lon are fantastic in their performances and i enjoy all their scenes together the casting is really strong all round neil i would like to direct your attention to the scene where clunesy touches her (laughs) chin fine we'll leave leave that one out (laughs) of the conversation (laughs) yeah sure (laughs) neil continues the sets are well done if a bit too overlit at times I especially thought they did a great job of pulling off that impressive market in a little studio. So did I. Absolutely. Finally, a shout out to the headdress scene in which Ambrose didn't realize that the sixth face of delusion is the wearer's face. Nothing bad to say about snake dance. Neil concludes, I definitely like it, but it's not a personal favorite. <gasps> 
Holy smokeroonies and cheese nozzles, Jim Cakes. Did you see this? Neil gives it a rating of 3.0. Oh, what a marvellous rating, Neil. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well done, Neil. Excellent. <laughs> Here's your friend yeah, who agrees indeed. with you. And with me on a bunch of this stuff. Yeah. yeah. Well done. Excellent, Mini. People who are not Neil, fret not, you can follow Neil. Be the closest to being Neil. Be a person who follows Neil. Neil can be found on Twitter at Neil Androzoni. Androzoni. Thank <laughs> you, Neil. Thank you very much. Next up, last up, holy smokes, it's Paul Waring. Hello, Paul. Hello, Paul. How are you doing? How's it been? Been a while. Coming out of the cold. Sit yourself down. Have a beer. And let us read your mini. <laughs> Paul starts, Snake Dance is an interesting contrast to Kinder, as this time round we already know about the Mara. As a result, they are a threat from the start of episode one, and the story feels like it moves along quicker mm. than Kinder. Yes, yeah, that is a good point. Paul continues, Martin Clunes, Clunesy, is the standout actor for me in this story. Here's our friend who agrees yeah. with us. He does a fantastic job of portraying a spoiled layabout who suddenly acquires power. I don't know if he looks back with fondness on some of the outfits he was asked to wear, especially the ridiculous one in episode four, but he is in good company with many actors who started out on Doctor Who. Hmm? Oh, yes, indeed. Nissa gets a lot to do, continues Paul. She is, in effect, the only companion for most of the story. And I think, once again, she Score. works well with the fifth Doctor. I feel like there's a lot of same page club across the board, actually, here. Um, the same yeah, yeah. Club. Like we, we are all friends who agree with one <laughs> yeah. another, I feel. Um, I like that she is on a similar <laughs> intellectual level to him and tries to rescue him from his cell, even though she does end up being captured. That's exactly what I said, Paul. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> of course, continues Paul, we have the usual completely inept palace guards who are outwitted in every interaction with the Doctor. At least the actors are saved any embarrassment by having their faces covered. <laughs> True. Yeah, true. By glorious masks yeah. or helmets, I would say. Yeah. And overall, continue. Well, fin concludes Paul, I should say. This mm. is a reasonable story with a great cast and a good ending to the Mara storyline. However, I slightly prefer Kinder, which got three point five out of five from Paul. So Snake Dance gets oh. three point three out of five. Oh, fantastic. Oh, fantastic, Paul. That is a, an excellent mini. Even though it's a freaking whole point lower than mine. <laughs> it's probably good middle ground, though, for, oh, well done, for Paul. everyone, I feel. They're kind of That's uh, true, low, yeah. low to mid yeah. three. I haven't done the maths, but this might be kind yeah, of an average. Good stuff, Paul. People who are not Paul, please head on over to Twitter. High five Paul online. Paul can be found at what? Wearing. Correct. The P is not silent. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Paul. Bing bong, future Leon here with two more listener minis. Yep, that's right. <laughs> These arrived mere moments after we stopped recording. So it's okay. Yeah, we're going to do this. Uh, so here we go. I'm going to read these two in full as well. We've got two more starting with, hey, it's Tan Six Fingers. Hello, Tan Six Fingers, aka Ben O'Neill. 
Tan Six Fingers starts, Hi-ho, Leon and Jim. Hi-ho to you too. I thought Snake Dance was an original sequel to tie up loose ends from Kinder, and although I enjoyed it critically, I can't say that I was thrilled with it. However, more importantly, between Ark of Infinity and Snake Dance lies the novel Goth Opera by Paul Cornell. You remember him? He wrote Father's Day and Human Nature, Family of Blood, based on his seventh Doctor novel, Human Nature. Sorry, seventh Doctor novel, Human Nature. Goth Opera is the first of Virgin's Missing Adventures novels that were written after the series was cancelled in the 80s. It also ties in with New Adventures novel Blood Harvest, featuring the seventh Doctor, Ace, Bernice Summerfield, and Romana too, and takes up where the fourth Doctor serial, State of Decay, ends on the vampire planet in eSpace. Anyway, for you listeners who might want to take a peek at some of the original, almost canon novels from Classic Who, I wanted to give a starting point. Also, the best thing about Snake Dance is that it leads directly into my personal favourite Classic Who serial, Mordrin Undead. Holy smokeroonies. I'm super duper looking forward to the next one. And Tan Six Fingers gives this one a rating of 3.0 out of 5. Nice! Excellent. Oh, that is some serious trivia that Tan Six Fingers has just dropped on all of us. Uh, Thank you very much for that, Ben. Very, very cool stuff. Uh, I've got a lot of books on my bedside table, but uh, yeah, I mean, eventually, (laughs) I'm going to get around to these books as well. People who are not Tan Six Fingers, fret not, you can say hello to Tan Six Fingers online. Tans can be found at... Tans six fingers. That's six, the number. Thank you very much. Next up, last up, because after this, I'm packing up the podcasting gear. We have, um, oh, hang on. I'm going to pop in a little recording for this one. Michael Ridgway. Ridgway. Hello, Michael. Michael has provided some uh, things he liked and some boofs. And I'm going to start at the top. Things Michael liked. More creepy snake stuff with Tegan. Particularly the creepy skull and the Hall of Mirrors and the Look at Me voice swap spiel. Yeah, very good. The snake cave set was pretty cool. Yes, absolutely. Had kind of a He-Man vibe, I'm now thinking. Anyway, uh, next thing he liked. The wacky Mara festival and ritual thingy. Martin Clunes does a good villain. And another wobbly rubber snake. Hurrah! Nice. He's also provided some beefs, and the first beef is the Doctor spending the entirety of Episode 3 in Yawn Jail. Oh, okay. Yeah, actually, you know what? That's fair. (laughs) And the second and last beef is, did the Doctor always suspect Tegan was still Mara-possessed? Is this why he ditched her in time flight and appeared so nonplussed to see her again in Infinity? Ooh, I mean, that's... Those are, that's two questions, Michael, and I'm going to say probably, and no, he just doesn't like her, respectively. He adds an observation, I don't think anyone actually died in this episode. Yeah. (laughs) Wow, that's true. Why are we surprised this is a family show? That's a good thing. That's, uh, holy smokes. I'm mostly surprised by how surprised I am by that statement. Yeah, that's true. I think you're right. In summary, he says, an entertaining creep fest. More Mara in New Who, please. Yes, agreed. And he gives this a rating of... 3.3 out of 5 scared townspeople staring at a giant rubber snake and thus enabling its existence or something. (laughs) Or something is right. That's an excellent mini and an excellent rating. Thank you very much, Michael. Ah, People who are not Michael can follow Michael on Twitter. He can be found at bad underscore movie underscore club. That's right. Thank you very much. Okie dokie, let's get back to the show. Bing bong, and thank you everyone who sent in a mini for this. A really, really super duper rock solid stuff. Wall to wall solidity. (laughs) That does conclude our snake dance soiree. Mm -mm. I've had a blast. It was 
spiffing. Yes, indeed. There is more Doctor Who to come. Next up on the review circuit, we're going to be tackling New Who with what, Jim Cakes? I believe it's called The Pyramid at the End of the World. Oh, yes. Yes, part two of a three-parter. Yeah. After which we are back in classic territory with Mordrin Undead, which I've not seen, obviously, but the title rings a massive bell, and I'm kind of inclined to say I think this is a legendary one. It's quite a good title. I'm very intrigued. Right. Also, by the way, Modern Undead, I think that's the first time that I've said a legendary one for Peter Davison. Yes. Right? Good well. I think so. I think so. Not sure what we're doing in Audio Who territory, although, I mean, rewind a little bit. Maybe we're doing a Mara one. However, in bonus territory, and this might actually drop before classic or new, we are coming up to our eighth anniversary and consequently we will be dropping our traditional annual anniversary bloopies so uh yeah yeah keep your earballs peeled for those ones podcast land in the meantime you can say hello to us online jim cakes you are available somewhere i believe in the ether yes i feel like actually i might have to go and check if i can grab jim cakes but for now you can find me at jimmy the who on twitter (laughs) (laughs) oh good stuff that's some solid branding You can say hi to me as well. High-five me online. I will high-five you right back. I can be found at Ponken, P-O-N-K-E-N, at least for the time being. You have been an absolutely lovely audience, as always, dearest podcast land. And I've had an absolute blast, so thank you very much, Jim Cakes. Please, everyone, until the next time, stay safe, stay rad, be excellent to one another. Rock on and cha-chao. See ya. Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends! But I've got no friends! No problemo, tell some strangers! Hey! Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash who back when. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome! High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it, we're at who back when. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit, listen to us on Stitcher and head on over to our website whobackwhen.com where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters and more which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, cha ciao. Who back when?